Hey, you all. Welcome back to the Definitely Not Simple Life podcast. Here are your hosts, Angela at Axe and Root Homestead, Mandy at Wild Oak Farms, and Renee at Mountain Woods Farm. Enjoy. Whatever role they play, our animals are an important part of our lives. And as much as we count on them, they count on us all the more. To protect them, to help them grow and thrive, treating them as well as they treat us. That's why we're here, to make their lives the best they can be. Manapro, nurturing life. Visit manapro.com and follow us at Manapro Homestead. Hi, friends. Welcome to this episode of the Definitely Not Simple Life. This is Angela speaking, and obviously... Mandy and Renee are here with me today, and I'm so excited for this episode today because we have a special guest. We have Anne Aseta Scott, who has literally written the book on preserving the harvest, and I absolutely love everything she does on her Instagram account and her YouTube account, which is a farm girl in the making. She's so passionate about sharing education and her knowledge when it comes to not only growing your own food, but actually trying to be more self-sufficient and have more security. So, Anne, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. This is really exciting. (laughs) Yes. Can you please tell everyone a little bit about where they can find you? You have a lot of media outlets and projects that people can tap into for when it comes to being a resource. Can you share some of those things? Oh my gosh, yes. Okay, so initially you can find me at Facebook because that's where I started. Um, and then, of course, there's Instagram, YouTube. Um, and then on top of that, the my website, it's under a farmgirlinthemaking.com. Um, you can grab a copy of my book anywhere um, on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, uh, Walmart, Target, Books a Million, wherever you want, it's sold there. And then on top of that, I also have a sustainable canning course, which is coming up and available um, here in on April 1st. So there is a pre-sale for that course. And the girls here will have a discount code that they can give you in your descriptions in regards to if you want to take the course, it's only being offered to the team right here and in my newsletter. So if you guys want it, go ahead into the descriptions for them and leave a quick comment. And then you guys can get a code to take the course at a discounted price on top of the pre-sale price. That's very generous. And that's it. That's all I am at. (laughs) (laughs) Can you talk a little bit what you just mentioned about with regard to sustainable gardening? Oh my gosh. Sustainable gardening. So I have this true passion because I was a failed gardener when I first started homesteading. I mean, failed. I grew probably 10 green beans and that was it. And then I learned to transition from just being a gardener who just started into what what I classify as just a hobby gardener. And that hobby gardener is the person who just eats in season, right? They grow in season, they eat in season, you know, they complement the farmer's market and whatnot and local farmers in their area. And then you reach a next level. And the next level is a level that's really in-depth, really researched out where your garden becomes sustainable to you. And what that means is, is that you're growing foods which are specific to, number one, storing fresh the longest because we all know there's only so much you know, canned food, fermented food, frozen foods we can eat because our body craves fresh at all times. So the garden is designed to preserve items like the best storing red, yellow, and white onions, the best storing potatoes, the best storing carrots, you know, how to preserve, um, you know, items such as, I don't know, celery, tomatoes, whatever it is. But more importantly, tomatoes, you know, potatoes are a topic on every table, aren't they? And 
for me, growing tomatoes is for sustainable purposes. So I grow a lot more romas and plums and, and things like that. And the reason why is because I get more bang for my buck out of those because they're meatier, first of all. So they create a better sauce or, you know, tomato product. And then I grow very little slicing tomatoes. But remember, my garden is in the mountains and we have two acres. So I have to be truly intentional with what I grow, um, especially if I want to preserve as much of it as I can. That still allows us to eat fresh throughout the year, but I have a very strong relationship with the local farmers in my area as well, too. And that really helps to supplement because if I'm, I'm short of something, I go there where I might have, I know that I'm going to put up 100 pounds of potatoes. I won't have to buy those. But if I need to put up something else that I know that this is what's going to give me, I may buy bulk from my local farmer in that sense and feed my family fresh throughout that time that it's actually in season. And then on top of that, I talk about more of a fall garden as well, too, and how to utilize polytunnels if your area can hold them and not a polytunnel. Then we go into like even a small greenhouse for fresh greens and things like that throughout the winter months. I that's, love that. That's pretty much the, the gist of it all. That's the gist of it all. So you're not busy at all. And no, I love that. But yeah. how, did you make, yeah, right. how did you go from, as you described, like this like hobby farmer that maybe only grew a few beans successfully to where you uh, are now? This journey has only been our seventh year. Actually, this is our eighth year. This is our eighth year in the journey. And, um, before that, I was a suburban housewife living right in the middle of Microsoft County, you know, and everything like that. And Justin, my husband, decided that he wanted to just pick up and go. He was done living in town. He couldn't handle it anymore. And so we moved to the outskirts, two towns over. And that's how it started. I mean, we dropped trees that first year. I've always had a beautiful flower garden. There wasn't a, a hesitation on that, you know, but you can only eat so, so many types of flowers, you know. So I told him, I said, let's start with three beds. And I, I went to the soil center, bought dirt, put it in the ground and said, I'm going to grow a garden. Didn't know anything about composting or manure or anything. And it failed. Like it failed. So it was years. Like I had to teach myself how to raise livestock. I had to teach myself how to properly clear the land because we're encased in blackberries and salmon berries without chemicals and, you know, hence the goats coming on. And then from there, we taught ourselves how to raise meat on the property and then the garden itself has been evolving for seven years. Seven years it's evolved. And um, in that time, it was constant reading. Everything I have to do, I have to read up and study on it because I don't know how to do it at all, <laughs> like at all. So it was constant studying the first four years. You know, it's just, it's been evolving. And I think the, the best thing for gardening for people to want to get started is that you know, I, I used to look at accounts that had 96 tomato plants and they were all different varieties. And I used to be like, well, I want to grow them all too. <laughs> and I want to eat that tomato and that tomato, but in truth, I can't. So I learned quickly to utilize what was going to be able to be maintained in my area. That's the first tip you have to make is, you know, someone else's garden is beautiful and luscious and, and the epitome of the perfect garden, but if it's you you know, give yourself grace and be happy with the space that you have and what you can grow in your climate is the 
most, most, most important thing of all. Yeah. Don't give up. Like I, I know what it's like. like. I live in the mountains too. A little bit different because I'm in Colorado at like 10,000 feet. Right. So it's like we get winter into June when you're like, I could grow leafy greens in June. I'm like, it snows here on June 10th. Like, you know, so I'm listening and you know, it has been really trying up here. You know, I'm not originally from Colorado I'm from the East coast where I was able to grow anything I wanted anything. I never had any troubles. And then I came here and boy, it's been a learning curve. So I so appreciate that you have like this success story about not giving up because I feel like so many people will try their first or second season. And then they're like, they throw the towel in. They're just like not motivated by it anymore. It's not fun at that point. They're not reaping the benefits of gardening. So thank you so much for taking time to explain that. And I think the most important thing about it is, is that regardless if it's gardening or the homesteading journey as a whole is that people get so discouraged that they just bag it, right? They bag it and then they wonder why they failed and whatnot. But here's the thing is, is that we enter homesteading, you know, not necessarily for, you know, to have, you know, just the piece of land. We enter it because we want some sort of food freedom somewhere along the line, right? So you want to be able to own and consume a really clean food source from seed, you know, oil to seed people. And then, the thing about it is, is that if you really want that food freedom and you really want the independence to say, this is mine, I own it, you can't take it away from me. And I know what I put in here and every aspect of how it was raised or grown or whatever the case is, you've got to just continue to fail in order to be successful. And that's okay. <laughs> so one thing that, um, I'm super proud of. And, and I have your book and you actually kind of helped to give me the confidence to do this is this is the first time ever that we grew enough tomatoes that I was able to can a hundred jars of sauce because I wanted (laughs) to get through the entire summer until, well, excuse me. I wanted to get through the entire year until the following summer with enough tomato sauce that we could use it for pasta and pizza because that's what we eat like yeah. two to three times a week. And I did it and I feel really excited about that. However, and this is very timely because right now a lot of people, if they haven't started seeds already, right. are probably thinking about what they're going to grow. Gardening for preservation and canning, that looks a lot different mm-hmm. than just gardening for fresh yep. eating. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that? So when you're gardening for preservation, here's the thing is this, is that your mind is constantly going. You have to constantly be aware of what you're buying when you're buying it. Some seeds go great. Some seeds don't, you know, it's that test and error for that. But, you know, Angela, you just talked about growing enough tomatoes for something like that. As much as I would love to grow, you know, heirloom tomatoes all the way across the board, you know, those beautiful, thick slicing beefsteak tomatoes that are delicious and yummy. The problem with a tomato like that isn't, it isn't the fact that it can't be canned because it can. However, the content of the tomato itself is very watery, right? It's very watery. It has very little meat substance to it. Sometimes a lot of seeds. Whereas if you're growing aroma or a plum, you know, or even an heirloom Roma plum tomato, you're getting a product that's much meatier. So for my garden, for example, I grow 35 plum tomato plants and it's a lot. It is a lot. It's like, I think my yesterday was it last year, I'm sorry, was a very difficult season for us because it was so cold. Um, however, on an average, I can pull out about 250 pounds of tomatoes from that garden. 
But if I were to use slicing tomatoes or those beautiful, you know, vine tomatoes, slicing tomatoes, you know, anything like that, you're only going to get a quarter of that percentage. And then on top of that, it's going to be so much water content in there. You're not going to be able to put up a substantial amount of jars with that little percentage. Does that make sense? So when you go to plant your garden and you're thinking, okay, I know that my family is going to eat a lot of tomato products and my family, just like Angela's does as well too. I mean, stewed tomatoes, we do just basically whole tomatoes, crushed tomatoes, um, sauce. I make a very basic sauce that I will spice up later. I make a very basic chili sauce that I will spice up later. So when you're, you're planning that, you know, your garden should always be planted first with the intention of knowing what your family is going to consume the most of, and then it gets filled in from there. Okay. So to, you know, lettuce, yes, you're going to eat lettuce in season, plant as much lettuce as you want, hang a gutter garden on your fence line, hang a gutter garden on a structure, wherever you want. They go great in there. They're a shoot short root vegetable. They're ideal for any property, uh, you know, or whatever the case is, you know, that you're going to get your bang for your buck during that season, but it doesn't preserve. So why invest so much time into growing, it's it just a, a whole entire bed of it. You've got to really plant to know what you want to keep. Cabbage keeps well. All you do is you pull it out of the ground and you hang it upside down, root and all, all the leaves, peel back the roots and uh, peel back the leaves and you can be eating cabbage in February as long as your cold storage space is correct. You know, and you just have to know, you have to understand the concept of what your family eats. So when I created the workbook, it was really weird. When I created the workbook, I did a section in there that says, what are you buying all year long? What are you buying from the farmer's market and your orchard? And what do you have left at the end of the growing, at the end of your um, preserving season? That's how you determine what you're going to plant for the next year. So if I know that I still have 80 jars of tomato sauce because my family was busy or they just didn't want to eat that or I just didn't cook with that anymore, I'm not going to go ahead and plant as many more uh, tomatoes as I did last year. So when you think as a sustainable home food preserver and a sustainable gardener, you have got to at all times know what is in your pantry before you can move on to buying seeds. I know a lot of folks listening Gosh, I mean, you're providing so, so much insight. And I think maybe the biggest question to a newbie garden listening to everything you just talked about is when they're choosing their seeds and they're choosing which varieties to plant and things like that and how much, how are folks really supposed to know or what is your biggest tip for folks to when they're picking which, which tomato variety, for instance, or cabs or beans? Each catalog will have something. Let's talk carrots, for example. Johnny Seeds has a great long-terming uh, storing cab, uh, a carrot, you know. But then if you turn around and you go to Baker's Creek, they're also going to say the same thing. This is a great long-term storing cabbage. So that's the nice part about catalogs is, is that not all catalogs will carry the exact same seeds, right? So you have to kind of pick and choose which catalog works best for you. And if you are brand new to this. Let me do you a favor and tell you not to order every catalog underneath the sun, (laughs) okay? Because you're only going to get confused. You will get so confused (laughs) because then you're circling everything and then you're like, well, I only ordered one package of carrot seeds here, but this, you know, this seed company has this or they have those seed tapes now or, you know, and you want to try it all. And before you knew it, you've dropped like $400 in seeds. Do yourself a favor, 
pick five seed companies. First, start with the ones that are local for you. Grab an heirloom catalog like Baker's Creek and then go from there. Um, you know, not all plants grow well in your growing zones, um, but definitely read the fine print of it. If it says a good storing, there's a lot of good storing anything. You have to keep going with good storing. And then from there, get on, you know, get on Google and go, okay, how long is this, this particular seed going to truly store for? My question, kind of piggybacking on, you know, everybody being new and things like that. In your, I guess, expertise and just experience and opinion, if somebody is first starting out with the idea that they want to can, preserve, freeze, ferment their food, what are the top maybe three to five things that they Mm. should focus on? Because we've talked about it. You cannot do everything at once. You're going to fail. We do raise a lot of meat on our property. And what I don't raise, I buy from one of my really good friends, Katie in Idaho and local farmers here. Um, We'll be running pigs for the first time. But here's your space. If you only have (laughs) one small box refrigerator-freezer combo section, you know that freezing your food unless you purchase another freezer is pretty much out, right? So you've got to think about your space, first of all, and see where what you can store and what you're willing to sacrifice to store this food. Um, so when I say that, I, I, I really mean that is, is that this lifestyle switch to food ownership is a sacrifice in one way or another, you know, uh, storage space, you've got to create a storage space for it. My linen closet is now my, my pantry for my canned goods. So whatever linen I have, I have to be able to store in a drawer or a trunk somewhere. Um, you know, so that's the first and foremost. What storage space do you have? If you have great storage space and a great shelving system, then canning is just as efficient as storing something fresh. Okay. Um, definitely canning. And the easiest process to start with canning, we all know, is jams and jellies. Jams and jellies is your gateway to actually building confidence in anything that has to do with a hot water bath canner or a steam canner. And then from there, most people would jump into pressure canning. But in truth, I think, and I will say this because I did the hot water bath canning first to the pressure canning. And at that point I was like, oh, well, I've got this. Um, but I will tell you is, is that if I can encourage anybody to do anything first, it would be a pressure can first. And the reason why I say that is, is because it limits your fear factor, not your knowledge, but your fear factor into saying, I can't do it. I'm afraid I've heard too many bad things about it. And that is the first and foremost. So if your storage space says, I have more room for canned goods than I do for storing something frozen, then by all means, start pressure canning and canning your own foods. If you have a great cold storage or a root cellar, then by all means, start fermenting things and start storing things fresh as much as possible. The nutrients is higher in that. If you can drop $2,500 to $3,000 on a freeze dryer, that is your biggest bang for your buck at that point, because then your nutrient value is at 97% maintained versus losing it in the canning or the freezing freezing process going to do. But I think for each individual, it's going to be different. It's going to be completely different. Not every home nowadays has a root cellar in it. So sometimes it just means completely closing off the heating system for that room and keeping your window cracked open and, and monitoring the humidity in there to allow that food to stay as fresh as possible for as long as possible. You know? So one thing I want to ask, and just before we wrap up is if somebody, especially somebody might not be new to gardening, but maybe they're new at the idea of giving themselves some food security when it comes to preservation. So 
could you recommend maybe just two or three different crops um, before we sign off here that people would would find approachable? For example, we could say, yeah, you could take a tomato and you can can it, but you can also you you can dry it, you can freeze it. Just mm-hmm. something that would give people confidence to say, like, okay, maybe I'm not ready for canning yet, but that doesn't mean that I can't be self-sufficient. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. What you should do is just look for the items that are going to actually give you your biggest bang for your buck. Tomatoes, definitely 100% bang for your buck on that. You do not realize how much tomato products you're going to use. Potatoes, potatoes are another great one. They're very universal to grow, whether you're growing them in the soil, in a raised bed, in a bucket, whatever the case is, potatoes are your next one. Carrots store exceptionally well, as long as you're buying the right variety, fresh. But then on top of that, you can freeze them as well too. Freeze dry them into um, powder, not freeze dry, I'm sorry, dry them into powder. And then from there, you can you know, easily hot water bath can pickle them for your children. They love them. And then from there, you're going into your green beans. So you want crops that are going to be continual, ongoing, that are going to give you more for nothing. Do you see what I'm saying? So a pack of green beans is only going to cost you, depending on the type of seeds that you're buying, $2 and some change. But you can get up to 50 to 60 pounds of it and freeze it, snap them, freeze them, go ahead and you know dehydrate them, make snacks out of them, whatever you're going to do with them, things like that. So at that point, change your mind to saying, I'm not going to grow these beautiful heirloom carrots. I'm going to buy those from my local farmer instead, but I'm going to plant a longer variety that stores well. And that's the mindset you have to switch to. As much as I would love to pull beautiful heirloom tomatoes out of my garden and you know lay them out for a photo shoot and whatever the case is, it doesn't happen other than in a tiny little bed and I get basically one crop out of it and that's it. Everything else in my garden is dedicated to like the Danver carrot, which stores pretty well long-term, but I do a lot more freezing with that than I do storing long-term. So So it becomes about more about function over form. Absolutely. Choosing something that's more functional. And that's hard. That's hard for people. It really is. It is. Um, Because what what is, you know, you're comparing yourself to what other gardeners can grow and what they want. It's a mindset change. When you get to a sustainable living aspect, it's truly a mindset change. Your mind is no longer into competing with that Instagram account. Your mind isn't set on, you know what I mean? You you think about right. your family and that's where your mind goes. And you think about the food you're going to provide for them. So when you reach that sustainable living phase, I'm going to tell you it's, it's different. It's different. And I wish I, I had the real words to say how different it is, but it's different. Your concept of life, your concept of your food source, your concept of what you're growing and raising is completely different. And then you stand up and you applaud the people who are growing a hundred pounds of heirloom tomatoes. And, you know, and you're like, I've got a hundred pounds of aromas. And, you know, and so that's where that, that's the goal you should be really striving for if you choose to really want to be sustainable. And you've given people so much information, so much inspiration. And, um, like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you can find Anne on Instagram, on YouTube. Be sure to check out her website. She has a class. If you're interested in the coupon code, uh, we will be providing that in our um, Definitely Not Simple Life podcast Instagram page caption. And um, I mean, start small. Take all of yeah. this information Anne has given you. Yeah. Assess what your grocery store list looks like. If you're buying a lot of tomatoes, think about trying to grow more of your own tomatoes. Uh-huh. If you're eating a lot of peas, look at peas. Um, It all just kind of starts with you and your family and what works for you and your climate. 
and not what works for the person on Instagram or the person next door. So Anne, I just want to say thank you so much for being with us today. I Thanks really appreciate your time. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Yay. Yes. All right. And we hope we hope you all out check out Anne.